Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast. This is episode 18 on Colin. Today's discussion is why are leftists losing? Progressive races aren't doing well. Jim Clyburn has managed to win again while his constituents continue to struggle. Amy Viella has lost another race. The Working Families Party is endorsing corporate Democrats. The left is losing. But there's a reason other than the squad. So that's the discussion for today. Feel free to go ahead and call in. I just want to give you guys some updates that I've noticed about some of the progressive races. I just saw last night that Jessica Cisneros actually lost her recount. That was a very close race. Jim Clyburn had a, I guess you would say a progressive challenger. Um, he was against, uh, actually, I don't want to say against, he was, he's not uh, pro-choice when it came to abortion. And I think that rattled some people the wrong way. At the same time, having lived in South Carolina, I do know that people heavily, heavily love Jim Clyburn. I was never able to figure it out. I don't know why. <laughs> don't ask me. Uh, and of course, Amy uh, Valia has also lost again. This was her second time running a progressive race. Some of you may remember her from knocking down the house. And also there was a new progressive challenger, uh, Imani. She was running in New Jersey. She lost her race as well, but she is actually one of the candidates that did not receive endorsement from the Working Families Party. The Working Families Party decided to back the corporate Democrat instead. And of course, uh, Shahid Buttar lost his race again, challenging Nancy Pelosi. And he also has been receiving death threats. So I'm trying to get Shahid to come back on and talk about that as well. So I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller. Why do you feel leftists are losing? And that is Brady. So you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. We don't have a lot to offer. Um, you know, uh, our platform isn't very secure or defined. And I think a uh, trade that I would like to make with conservatives is to trade um, vaccine mandates for women's ability to get abortions. Maybe we could like, if we could be fighting for the conservative cause and they could be fighting for women's rights for abortions, because I've talked to conservatives and conservatives believe, a lot of them, in a woman's right to abortion. And a lot of fellow lefties also believe that vaccine mandates are a bit of an overreach. So I think we could start by kind of maybe floating that um, that kind of trade-off to conservatives. Say, hey, you know, as leftists, we're willing to trade vaccine mandates for safe and free abortions. That is interesting. So when you say that we don't have a lot to offer, what about Medicare for all and canceling student loan debt? Do you feel or do you feel that those issues have become stale? Those issues have become a bit stale. Um, I think what's more important almost than Medicare for all is just clean food and water. And then what I would consider to be real shelter, which is like protection from the basic uh, things in life that cause you damage, you know, um, but really honestly, clean food and water is such a big, <clears throat> big issue for a lot of Americans right now. I mean, we have lead pipes and poisoning children in schools and stuff, you know, um, uh, water and food are fundamental to our hierarchy of needs. And I think shelter comes after that. 
but um there's we've actually done uh mass uh experiments and studies to kind of figure out that the number one thing you can do to extend lifespan is to have clean food and water first and everything else is secondary that's that's interesting and that's well said and that's something that everyone needs not just people on the left and people or people on the right that's something that all of us us need um do you think that there is someone who is willing to run with that message and if so if they do run with that message do you think it's still in a sense too late in reference to progressives running for office. And and that's something that I'm wondering as well. I think progressives need to stop running through the Democratic Party. I think they need to run through the Green Party um, or independent. MPP is not a party. So I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there for people to start mentioning MPP. I think they need to take a different option because it's become very clear that the Democratic Party leadership is not going to allow progressives to actually get any type of headway. Yeah, I actually started uh, a party out of desperation in 2016 called the People Party, just the singular version. And um, this is an idea I float on the platform. And I think we need to flex our ability to write people in as a write-in candidate so we can completely bypass all the nonsense involved with getting on the ballot. And so we can quickly establish leaders and uh, elect them ourselves completely outside of any other kind of bureaucratic, you know, I guess you could say false dichotomy network of the two party system. Um, but we should flex our right to write people in and practice that uh, right that we have before it's taken away. That's interesting. I have actually have a uh, pasta from Convo Couch coming on tonight, and he was actually on the ground in Colombia covering the elections there. So he's going to talk about their election process and more importantly, why they are in a position to elect leftist candidates, whereas when you compare it to the United States, we're not even in that position in reference to um, the systems that are in place. Like our election system in the United States is not secure. Uh, so that's a big part of the problem. There are ballots every year that are just not counted. That's why. And I totally understand Jessica Cisneros wanting to do a, a recount. I totally get that. Uh, but at the same time, even though that was a particularly close race, the progressive still came up short. So uh, thank you so much for calling in, Brady. All right, I'm going to bring in Ashura in just a second, but that is something I do want all of us to think about. I want us to think about the election system that we have in the United States, because I'm a little bit fortunate. I live in a state where we have paper ballots, although we put those paper ballots into a machine. But I've also lived in a state, I lived in North Carolina, where we did not have paper ballots. It was just the computer and you had to vote on the computer. And it, it's not that easy. It can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes the line doesn't exactly line up next to the person's name that you're trying to vote for. Uh, so I think that's something I want us to keep in the back of our mind, too. What are ways that we can change the election system in this country to make sure that we actually have secure elections? Because I'm not convinced that we do. All right, Ashura, I'm going to go ahead and make you the next caller. All right. Hi, Sabi. Um, just tell me if you can hear any noise in the background. I don't hear any noise. I just think your your volume's low, but I think that's just your phone. Mm, no, my phone's fine. I think it's the caller. Um, I want to say uh, when it comes to the Jessica Cisneros thing, 
I think it's about time to realize that just as Democrats are not kingmakers, I mean, <laughs> what's the point of AOC going out there and basically saying, you got to vote for that person, and that person basically lost? Like, how many, how many losses does AOC need to basically decide to, I don't know, leave the party or something? Because it's not working. Uh, they, uh, for me, I thought that that guy who basically beat Jessica Cisneros, I'm pretty sure that he beat her fair and square because uh, the money they dumped into this campaign, there was no way she was going to win. Um, AOC basically, uh, unlike for Nina Turner at the last minute, uh, AOC basically said she supported Nina, but for Jessica Cisneros, she was going all in for her, but she thought she still lost. Right. Well, and here's the thing I want to remind people. This was the second time that Jessica ran against Henry. It wasn't the first time. Obviously, she lost to him the last time as well. Uh, I think that, again, even with someone like her, I feel like the momentum and the excitement is gone. With anyone, anyone that's going to be coming in that's that's running this year, I just feel like it's gone. Like, yes, yeah, Summer Lee run her won her uh, primary, but at the same time, you did not see that taint, that same level of excitement and energy around her win that you did when, I guess the the original Justice Democrats won. Like, you saw more of that excitement around AOC and yeah. Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley. You did not see that same amount of excitement around uh, Summer Lee. And I would even argue that John Fetterman is not progressive. He said so himself in multiple interviews. Uh, he's also, was he's a Zionist. He's come out forward and said that, that he will be against wow. BDS. So he's another one. I just feel like these these candidates, it's funny they're you not- say that about. It's funny you say that about Fetterman because uh, <laughs> Mr. Kokolinsky, he keeps bringing him up like he's a progressive. I'm like, Maybe these guys know that uh, some of these candidates are pushing are not progressive. They're basically a bunch of moderate Democrats. So yep. why call them progressives? Because he, it seems like Kokolinsky doesn't even basically look up their record. Like, I didn't know he put this guy basically had a black guy at gunpoint. I mean, if this was a Republican, they'd all be screaming and saying that guy's a racist. Right. Well, even if he did look up his record, you have to ask yourself, is Kyle Kalinske going to tell you that? You see what I mean? Well, no, he's not. Well, he's not going to say anything. Right, right. So you should like people should be suspicious of that. Like for me, I mean, obviously, you guys know if you watch my show, I do a lot of research and I show a lot of data, and I think it's important for people to know just because someone is on the left and they're not a corporate Democrat per se. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be criticisms about them. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look into their background as well. And so for John Fetterman, for me, honestly, that took one Google search and that article came up about him gunning down the black jogger. So it didn't take much. And so you have to ask yourself, are they doing the real research? And if they are, then why are they not telling you about those things? You should know about that. Like, I'll be honest with you. Had I known more about AOC's background, would I have given money to AOC? Absolutely not. You know, when they they heavily pushed AOC on us, they didn't tell us that AOC had a startup. They told us that she went to BU and look, she was this bartender, this working class woman. No, she had already had a startup. She had interned for Ted Kennedy. So 
I think if I would have known that, that this was someone who already kind of had their foot in the door in D.C., I wouldn't have donated money to them. And I think that's the difference. And I think people like Kyle, he's been around long enough. I think he knows that. Right. So his role is to still push progressives through the Democratic Party instead of just putting his hands up in the air and just admitting, look, this isn't working. He's not going to do that. So what is uh, what is Justice Democrats exactly? Is it just basically pushing people, just moderates into the party? Well, the problem with Justice Democrats and uh, Zaneb, she's a part of my monthly women's panel. She actually used to work with them. She left right before they decided to take billionaire money. And the reason why she left is because they started to change the formula of justice Democrats. Originally, it was supposed to be everyday working class people that had no experience in politics and they were going to get them to run for those positions, right? Through, through Congress. That's originally, that was the model of it. You weren't supposed to take any corporate money and then they changed the strategy. They decided to start taking people, you know what? Let's go ahead and start start picking people that actually may have some political experience. Let's take people that actually, you know, might be okay with taking billionaire money, but through a pack. And then justice Democrats took billionaire money themselves. They're like, we need more money. So they took that money from George Soros. And I wish more people would talk about this. And they took that money from George Soros and their whole model changed. Yeah. Cause I find it funny that the justice Democrats was created by Kyle Kalinske and Jane Huger. But for some reason, he doesn't bring up anything of the slush money they keep getting. He's not going to. You see, it's it's dangerous territory because then people are going to look at you. They're not going to look at me that way because I didn't start Justice Democrats. Then people are going to look at you and say, why have you been pushing these progressive candidates? And you knew that this organization was taking billionaire money, because if you go back and you watch the videos and I think CJ played this video a couple days ago. If you go back and watch the older videos when they first started promoting Justice Democrats, what did Jink and Kyle say? The deal is that you cannot take corporate money in order to be a Justice Democrat. Now, I ask you this. If that's the case, then why was Pramila Jayapal added to Justice Democrats, who clearly she clearly takes corporate money? So this this whole. But don't you think that also applies to the party itself? No, I mean the, right. the the group itself, yeah, because that's a that's a bit shaky because you could say the candidate is not taking money, but the but the group itself is taking money. Right, but but Pramila Jayapal originally, if I remember correctly, originally she was not a Justice Democrat. They added her, but she was already taking corporate money. She took money from Amazon in in Seattle, and I want to remind people. She's in the same area as uh, Shama Sawant, and she was taking money from the same corporation that was trying to shut Shama Sawant down. So this is this is all a mess. <laughs> this is a mess. And this is why I tell you, you have to follow the money. And this is why I continue to tell you that you can't take that money because this is what happens. So you see what Justice Democrats is now. It's just it's no that not that much different from the Working Families Party, which also Originally, that organization is supposed to support those progressive working class candidates. They are endorsing corporate Democrats. This is part of the reason why someone like Amani Oakley lost. 
because Working Families Party chose to endorse the corporate Democrat over her. And I'm sorry, but people like Kyle Kalinske, Gene Uger, all of the rest of them that have these large platforms, they need to call this shit out. Because, like, quite honestly, like, it's disgusting. How dare you get on stream and ask your audience members to give you more money to give to these candidates? And you know damn well they are already bought and paid for. They're taking billionaire money. You guys haven't said a damn thing about it. A lot of these people sat back and got rich off of this. I want people to understand. Jink Uger is a millionaire. Kyle Kalinske is a millionaire. Anna Kasparian is a millionaire. Crystal Ball is a millionaire. These people are rich. And they got a lot of our money doing it. Well, I will say finally about the about the Justice Democrats. Well, after Bernie Sanders, Justice Democrats is basically the new grift. Yeah. It's the, it's the last yeah. grift. Yes. Well, when you have the executive director of Justice Democrats endorse near a tandem, that should have been a big red flag to a lot of people. But people are still saying we have to endorse them. We have to support them because they're the best we got. If they're the best we got, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, OK, then. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I'm done here, so I don't want to have uh, too much noise in the background. So uh, I'll, I'll basically, um, I'm basically unmute myself. I mean, I'll mute okay, myself. awesome. Thanks so much for calling in, Ashura. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Andrew. You are now the next caller. Why are leftists losing? Hey, Sabi, how's it going? Hello, how are you? Good, good. I uh, I just. Got mad at my dog. He climbed all. He's a little guy. I didn't think he'd get on the table. He he got a pork chop off the table. But dog. That's that's. Yeah, he's a he's like half. I don't know. He's he's a very small dog. So I was surprised he got up there. Anyway, uh, other than that, I'm doing good today. But um, I think leftists are losing um, for a number of reasons. I think uh, Brady hit part of it on the head saying that uh, the platform is stale. I think especially since this election cycle ran far into the war in Ukraine and the the price of commodities in the U.S. is skyrocketing from uh, price gouging and inflation. I think that definitely the platform was likely lacking from those people. Um, I also think that I, don't, I couldn't speak to any of these individual campaigns because I didn't follow them, but I tend to see... Um, like a sort of a poor ground game. Uh, I did help. I, I'm from Seattle and I, I tried to help out on a campaign, just door knocking and, um, tabling and stuff for this, um, for this candidate who was running with DSA and he was going to be in another district. So we would have potentially had, um, another semi socialist on the council there. And we did we did do a good bit of door knocking, like really consistently, uh, but I don't think it was very well targeted. Like, what I think that should be a really crucial factor is, um, and and it is, but it, it could be improved. Is picking your spots. Like the first couple of days they had me door knocking, it was literally in the neighborhood, like on the block of the dude he was running against. And he's like kind of old money for Seattle, not super wealthy, but doing very well. Um, their, their campaign had absolutely no substance. It was just like, basically he's a, he's a businessman. He can get things done. He's a, he's not going to waste time with nonsense. And, and also we hate homeless people and there's a lot of homeless people in Seattle. So that was basically their 
campaign. And I think that had we focused a lot more on, um, on like offering material benefits to the people who are the least served in the districts. Um, I, I think that crafting the platform in that way, and then also really hitting, um, the, you know, the streets where there are the most likely people who would support you if you were, if you were offering them something, something substantial. Um, I'm living in Mexico the last several months and I've been talking to more and more people from Morena cause I'm interested about like, what are the kind of average people working for the party or supporting them? Um, like what are they doing? Why do they support the party? How are they winning in these districts? And I'm seeing them going out to like, um, pretty remote areas where they don't have a lot of like active voters that are supporting them, but like talking to farmers or people who are renting or people who have a small property who are getting screwed over by uh, water rights or something. And they're like, this is our policy. It's going to save you like this much money a year. Uh, this is what we've already done that we think probably you would like. And I'm seeing people who had, no, had either no opinion on the party or maybe like sort of a negative one from the news um, be, becoming like very engaged and excited talking to these people. Um, and the way that they originally won their, uh, their first congressional elections in the presidency with AMLO is they just went district by district, like within each, um, state, there are multiple electoral districts and then there are smaller, um, I think they call them, uh, like casillas or carillas. I can't remember, but it's like a subdivision of the electoral district. And they're like, okay, how many people live here who could possibly vote? All right, we're gonna we're gonna get sixty percent of the total population of this district to get on board with us. So even if like five, ten percent of them don't show up, we're still gonna win this this district. And they they had to deal with a lot of different electoral like fraud and and systemic um, roadblocks. And we have a lot of those too. Like I think if we started addressing with with ballot initiatives, like uh, nonpartisan electoral commissions, like it shouldn't, it could not be the the partisan secretary of state in every state who can decide, who unilaterally can decide. I'm striking 300,000 people from the ballot in Alabama because they live in poor, predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, like there's all sorts of things like that. There's ballot access that we could be attacking that people with no, with many or no party affiliation would support. They'd be like, yeah, I'd be down to get rid of this obvious corruption at the state level. And, um, also totally agree. Cannot keep riding with Democrats, but that's my, that's my thoughts. That was a lot. So I'll stop uh, ranting. No, well said. Um, I'm always interested to hear how these processes work in other countries. Um, I'm really excited to hear what Poss is going to say when he comes on tonight about the election process in Colombia, because from what he's told me so far, it seems like they actually have secure elections. So they don't have to deal with some of the issues we have to deal with here in the United States. Like I had friends show up to vote for 2020 and or actually one friend in particular uh, showed up to vote in New York City. Uh, for 2020. And she was told that she already voted and she hadn't. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's issues like these. Uh, but again, I think that's done on purpose. I don't think they want us to have like secure elections here. I think they want certain people to win. I think back with uh, Gore and Bush 
and how they were still counting ballots in Florida and they were told to stop counting. Uh, and I think if they would have finished those ballots, I'm pretty sure Gore would have won that election, but that's not who they wanted in. And I think people are just, they're chosen here. Um, really quick, Andrew, quick question. When you were knocking on doors, can you tell me whether or not, like, are they targeting rural areas as well? Because I, I, I'm urban, you know, I'm, I'm in the Boston area. And I remember when we were phone banking for AOC and Bernie Sanders, they didn't have us target, like they only wanted us to target the urban areas. So I'm just curious, like, did you venture to the rural parts of, of Seattle as well? Well, that, that's, um, it's almost like not a, not the right question for Seattle, or at least that district, the, the, so Seattle is very urban suburban area. Um, the district I was in number four encompasses parts. Uh, it's like the district that's directly North of Shama's district. So Shama's district is like Capitol Hill, um, the central district, and it's a lot of renters. It's a lot of um, like 10, 15 years ago, especially in the CD, it was like one of the kind of like the heart of the black neighborhood in Seattle. And there was a lot of kind of like old school black neighborhoods that literally still had, you know, like some grandpas were like Black Panthers. And then there were also some of the slightly newer like East African neighborhoods. And so I think Shama was very strategic in going um for the you know the people who weren't even registered to vote the people who just have no representation in the city um the district north of there number four it has the university of washington and the u district and it also has parts of like wallingford and these other neighborhoods that are like some of them are pretty wealthy and some of them are kind of like again that sort of renters but I think with um, with our campaign, we focused not nearly enough on, like early on on getting students registered and getting um, like older renters in the U district registered or going a little bit um, further up north towards like closer to Aurora. It's just there's no there is no rural part of that district, uh, but they had us focus way too much on the the neighborhoods of people who, you know, their parents might've worked for Boeing, like in the forties and they have okay. no idea what's wrong with like Amazon. They don't really care who's the mayor. It doesn't matter to them from election to election, but I definitely would say um, it's a mistake to not focus on the rural areas for a left project in the U S like, if you think about land reform, water rights, um, small farmers and ranchers who are not, yet gobbled up by Monsanto and things. I think there's so much that a left platform could offer those people. And if we weren't like immediately shooting ourselves in the foot with particularly politicized buzzwords in those areas. Yeah. I definitely think it's a mistake to avoid them, but in the district I was door knocking in, there just isn't that type of dynamic. You have like semi old um, money, you know, just basically like a standard family that had a property that they could pass down a few generations without getting like redlined out of their own homes. Um, and then you have the university and the, and the U district and along the highways there, it is um, like precarious economically. Like that's where I would have focused more instead of going around the lake where like, you know, you can see fucking Bill Gates's house from part of that district. <laughs> it's across the lake. It's not in the same city, but it's like, yeah, that's the, they definitely, 
um, I think could have made more progress at the university and in the poorer parts of the district instead of just like scattershot. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. I'm going to move on to uh, Eric, who is the next caller. Hey, Sabby. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Um, it feels... It feels like a lot of the a lot of the left is actually losing. Um, I guess you could say it's due to a lot of our more whether it's more of our like traditional voter base, like like for example amongst like um, amongst black elders in particular who are super fixed in their ways, like. It, it's it's just you know individuals like that who are traditionalists and don't and only see red and blue, like Jim Clyburn. Yeah, it's 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 embarrassing. That that's another lecture, but also the fact is that how. I guess, I guess, because not everyone, not everyone in the location actually votes. How much of it is on reaching out to those who don't vote? Right. Then, you know, what I'm saying, like, part part of it is distancing yourself from the the red blue bullshit, and but then at the same time, it's like, like I'll give my area as an example. Um. I might, I'm, I would may or may not do well in my area, given the elders, but I could do better with a lot of younger people. Right. So, I don't know. It's just like, this is all like area to area dependent. It's just, and, and then on top of that, the fact that some people are just content with incumbents, they don't necessarily like them, but they'll just be like, eh, whatever it is, what it is. They feel like it's the safer option because they know them. And I can tell you, this is something uh, when I lived in South Carolina with Jim Clyburn, like, first of all, I had never even heard of who uh, Jim Clyburn. I was like, what is a Clyburn? When I first moved there, when I was going to college, I didn't know who this person was. And everyone was just like, no, you, you have to back Jim Clyburn. He's a big deal here. And I did a little bit of research and yeah, you know, he was an activist, like back in the day, he had been involved in like some civil rights, like, you know, direct action, things like that. But that was years ago. As time went by, he became a politician and he became very comfortable. And I noticed that he was living very well in his district, which is one of the poorest districts in South Carolina. So his constituents were struggling, but Jim Clyburn was doing great. And I just couldn't understand why they would continue to vote for him and he literally wasn't doing anything for them in the community then i had to look at his district and like you said it was a lot of older black voters that felt like this is someone from the community that they know they've known him for a long time and they they trust going with what they know uh so i think that's why someone like marcel uh uh dix i think it's his name marcel was running yes. against him 
um, even though Marcel had really great things to say in reference to what should be done to help people in that district since he's from there, the people in the district, especially the older people in the district, just kind of saw it as though, but we know him. This is who we know. And so this is where I say people will often vote against their own interest. The same people will come to these town halls that Jim Clyburn has and they will complain that they can't pay their medical bills, but they're complaining to the person who takes the most money from big farm and they would still vote for that person. And I felt like a lot of times they weren't making the connection. And then when you would try to explain it to them, they still would feel more comfortable going with Jim Clyburn because that's someone that they know. And it's, it's a problem. And I, I wish I knew the answer to like how to fix it other than continuing to educate people. But you're right. I feel like a lot of older black people have really, they, they sold us out. I feel like, like yeah. even some of the ones I know that were activists, like back in the day, civil rights movement, they're neoliberals now. Like they don't want to fight for anything now. Now they're the ones that come with, look, I bring them on my show. What do they say? Oh, you guys aren't going to do anything. Oh, don't try to, you know, just go with the flow. You saw what happened when Adolph Reed came on. He didn't want us to fight for anything. So it's just like, I don't know what happened to a lot of these, these, I guess, revolutionary black leaders. Look, I, I say it like this when it comes to, when it comes to other black, when it comes to black revolutionaries and our people in general. It's like either one of three things happens. You either get bought, you get killed, or you get locked away forever. It's one to three. And, and and at this point it's like 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 you said, the best thing we can do is educate and and that's that's why I, I constantly make the distinction. And constantly ask people, "What do you mean by left?" Because I'm 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 not I'm not trying to entertain social democrats bullshit. It's just what like, yeah, I'm on people I'm on people for that for a reason. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. I think that um, I think that term just being tossed around, especially on mainstream media. They're calling people like Joe Biden left. They're calling Joe Biden a socialist. They're calling Joe Biden a socialist. I'm like, no, honey, I'm a socialist. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, and so people are seeing this. People are sitting in their homes, the people that only watch mainstream TV, and they believe these talking points. They're not going to like dig into the research for themselves. They just like believe it. And now we've got to the point where even some of the, the, the shows on independent left independent media have started repeating some of the same talking points as mainstream media. And so it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I think that, I think part of the reason why these particular people are losing this year, other than the squad has not been uh, great. They've been more performative than anything, but not actually delivering on any key issues that they ran on. I think part of the reason why they're losing is because I think people have lost hope in this strategy. And I think it really, it really says something. And I talked about this recently with Occupy Movement. When I look back on it, I don't think it was a good idea for Occupy 
to pass that message onto a political campaign. And that's what happened. The Occupy movement, that message, some of them, the people that worked with Occupy, they went on to Bernie Sanders campaign. So the 99% that came from Occupy was now a part of a political campaign. When Bernie Sanders didn't win two times in a row, Bernie Sanders left his movement and there was no Occupy movement to fall back on when he did not win those elections. And so now you had this message of the 99%. It went into a political campaign. Bernie Sanders ran through the Democratic Party and it was now seen as this is a Democrat thing. Instead of like with Occupy, that was not, this is something that Democrats want. That was not a Democrat thing. That was supposed to be a class movement. And that class movement went into a political campaign that went through the Democratic Party. And then now again, once it looks like the Democratic Party has co-opted another movement. So this is why I think looking back on it, I think that was a bad idea. I think Occupy should have made, should have remained a separate thing. If Bernie Sanders wanted to run, he still could have ran. But I don't think that movement should have ended. Agreed. <laughs> um, yeah. And I know you said it before, Savvy, these need to be class issues. This whole left-right framing thing is just ridiculous at this point. We already have an undereducated country that really doesn't know what left actually is. Said a lot of people are watching mainstream media, they're getting misled on what left actually is. So, so yeah, that that too. And also, I'm, I'm trying to get more people to consider it. I mean, I know I've said it before, but the, the eco socialists are the majority in the Greens. So, Mike, why wouldn't you go to a party that already has a majority of people who agree with you? Because just move for more. Because that, I'm going to move on to, uh, to Thomas, but I want to answer your question because that requires more work. And I want to remind everyone, in the beginning, you have to go back on YouTube and find these videos. I'm going to go back and find them. In the beginning with Justice Democrats, the plan was that you get these progressives to run through the Democratic Party while at the same time trying to build up a third party. That was the original strategy. As you notice, as time went on, the third party portion of that strategy was forgotten about. And they just focused heavily on putting progressives through the Democratic Party. And I think that was a mistake. But thanks for calling, Eric. I'm going to go on to um, Thomas. You are now the next caller. You just have to unmute. Yep. Hey, Sabby. Um, nice to finally meet you. Uh, Zaina always says nice things about you. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen her, uh, you know, she, she calls me after she, uh, sometimes after, uh, after she gets on your segments and everything, the, the panel that you do every week and everything. And so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, me and her are good friends. And, uh, so, uh, I was just going to say, uh, going back actually to what Andrew was saying, um, a few, uh, a few callers ago. Um, he hit, he hit the nail on the head, like on a lot of the stuff. Um, I think like why we're not winning is because we need good foundations and, you know, if we're, if we're going to, and we're biting off more than we can shoot on a national stage, I feel like, you know, why, why do, uh, 
you know, why, why are are people able, uh, why are the Democrats able to mobilize and get people out to vote for federal and national candidates? Oh, well, because they have a bunch of, they already have those roots and those connections in at the local level through local candidates who can then mobilize their base to vote for a, for a, for a federal candidate. And so if we don't have those same like local roots at the ground level, um, you know, we're not going to be able to get people out to vote and get those connections, those one-on-one connections with people at the grassroots um, uh, to mobilize them for, you know, federal candidates that we try to put, uh, you know, we try to field. And so local is really important. And I, I feel like that just gets glossed over. I mean, the Greens get too focused on federal um, and presidential. I think, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of focus with Justice Dems and everything on the federal and national. And this we're losing we're losing sight of you know the 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 you know the the down in the ditches hard work that we really need to do in order to actually mount um you know uh a large scale movement on on that front and so you know we have to uh you know a lot of things can be done at the at the local level local politics is you know where um, you know, it, a, a lot of federal legislation deals with funding, and then that funding ultimately filters down to the states. And the last mile of implementation on that on that legislation tends to be in your own backyard. And the states have, uh, you know, th- there's so much we could do at the state level to push progressive policy and meet people's needs now, immediately. That you know, I, I think we miss we miss that opportunity substantially, and it's. You know, as simple as, you know, okay, can we can we connect, uh, you know, can we build local food supply chains that aren't, you know, reliant on, you know, shipping all the way from the West Coast? Can we, you know, uh, figure out how to get people's in, people in homes who are homeless, uh, who are homeless? You know, what can we do about getting uh, child care? What can we do about uh, local health clinics? You know, there are so many things that we could do at the state at the state and local level that, um that, you know, can really improve people's conditions now. And the thing is, is, you know, and it depends on the state, depends on the locality, all kinds of things. But, but, you know, there's a lot of places where those elections are nonpartisan. They, you, you can't, you're not, you don't run with a party in those cases. You just run as yourself. Um, there's a, many, many, many people who run uh, completely, uh, you know, without any, any opposition locally too. They're the only, they're the only person running. And so they get in automatically and that, you know, and they've been doing that for like two decades. <laughs> and so, and so I think, you know, we, we need to get a lot more people out and we need to get them, you know, fighting at the, at the ground. Um, and yeah, as to what Andrew said, you know, we have to reach out to people in rural areas. We have to actually have a plan that's not only urban, but suburban and rural. And, you know, we can't wait for people to come talk to us we need to be going out and reaching out to them and speaking with them in ways that they understand and on the level with them. Uh, because if we're talking over them, then that's just another way of disrespecting them as a voter. So, you know, I agree. Um, I, I will say too, uh, someone just sent me an email. I have to go back through and look, but someone sent me an email about an independent that just won a mayor race. Wow. So on on the local level, third party candidates and independent candidates actually have been doing a lot better. And what I would have mm-hmm. liked to have seen is some of the members of the squad actually hold local positions first. For example, I think that someone like Corey Bush could actually do a lot better for her community on the local level if she was in local office. 
uh, mayor or city councilor. She could probably do a lot more. And that's the case with someone like Erica Eiderhoven, okay? Like she was a DSA uh, candidate here in Massachusetts. She came from the Bernie movement. She canvassed for Bernie Sanders' campaign and then she decided to run herself and she won. And so she's in the state house here in, in Massachusetts and she's making a lot of noise. And, and that's what I mean. It's like, you're right. We have to have that foundation on the local level. And for the most part, when it comes to these progressives, a lot of times we just don't have it because it seemed like the main focus was to put them into Congress and mm-hmm. the local level was ignored. And I think that was a mistake. Well, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we have, uh, uh, I, I mean, you know, that's also a pipeline, too, to educate them as 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 candidates. You know, if we get them into local office first, which the bars are lower, you know, lower, lower, lower signature requirements, lower, lower fundraising requirements. If we can get them into local office, you know, then we can progress them to, to, to state office, you know, once they're able to show. And that's the thing, too, is, is, you know, people are like, well, these candidates, you know, these people, they're 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 from a political party or they have a third party affiliation or they're independent. We don't really know. You know, do 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 they do they have the you know can they you know deliver on what they say? And so getting them into local office first, where they can actually make practical changes and and affect people now in their communities, then you can use that as a headwind to push into state and from state and international and move them up. You know, let them provide shade and cover as you pull you know, uh, pull, pull new people into their positions that they're leaving at the state level and then push them into the federal. And, and that, you know, again, it's, it's a natural way. We have to organically grow um, these political candidates in through our system. And that's how we're going to get up and through it. You know, just trying to shoot for the end goal at, at, in Congress right off the bat is just, it's, you know, why, why does the, establishment have such a firm hold on on congressional seats and congressional candidates because they have an entire infrastructure all the way down to the down to the 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 state and local level that reinforces that hold and so unless we break it at the bottom we're not going to be able to make it we're not going to be able to make the distance all the way to the top that's just my opinion that's a good point. Thank you so much for that, Thomas. I'm going to go to uh, Leroy, which is the next caller here. So, Leroy, you're now on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy. How you doing? This Leroy. How you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate you. And it's, uh, it's Leroy Beresford. Just so you know, I know you say that. Um, you don't know why you say my last name, but it's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But yeah, um, you know, in regards to like why the left is losing, um, I feel like overall, it's really a, a lack of solidarity across the board and a lack of planning. And, um, you know, what I mean by that is things like, um, you know, I used to be a huge, huge, because obviously it was like one of the only outlets we had available for Progressive Network or like information for lefty news is like TYT. That was like my, my everyday thing. And, you know, like I used to listen to them follow them and then also like, you know, even chime in, in in the stories that they have. So like I remember responding to them and saying, like, yo, I'm you know, we need to get to a point where 
because we're constantly on the defensive and we're constantly on the defensive from the establishment. We need to get to a point where they're being reactive to the things that we're doing. And there's very much things that we can be doing for that. You know, like, I don't know why there's people like AOC in, in office at the moment who has such a huge platform and, you know, not doing things like, I mean, respectfully, she has a huge platform. She should be going live in live in Congress on her Instagram. Why the hell not letting them know like, Hey, because I remember you covered the story about, um, you know, Nina Turner talking about how they may have been threatened and things of that nature. I'm going live on my Instagram to let them know exactly this is what's going on. My followers all around the country, all around the world. These are the corrupt people that we're currently dealing with. So at least that way, we know what's going on on a play by play basis. But they seem so, so, um, you know, ready to play ball with them, even though they have shown numerous times that they're not good actors at all. When, you know, again, go back to AOC. Why are they um, still, you know, going, going, um, you know, going to bat for the Democratic Party when they were running people to primary her? And it's like you they don't want to ingest this very they don't want to take in this very valid information and then adjust to those things that are happening. They just kind of keep going along. And that that's unfortunate because they are also in that place of comfort. And. You know, when, when she, it, it sucks that they're in that place of comfort because then it, it, it gives them that place of like, well, I feel like I'm doing something because I sent this tweet or, you know, I, you know, I showed up at this one abortion rights rally that is extremely important and extremely valid. You never take away from that. But like, what are you doing to actually fight against that when you have people like, you know, you, you, you're actually tapping for people like Joe Biden who... You know, was again, you know, with the Hyde Amendment, all of that. And it's like, what, you know, all of these things, you have to be intellectually consistent in order to be able to move through these spaces and have people follow you. And they're not doing that. And it's, it sucks because, um, you know, you see the co option from them when, you know, when you notice the different languages and things like that. And, um, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm in Nevada at the moment and um, I'm on the local level. I, I personally am I'm involved in politics on, on um, local level. Um, I've been, I'm, I'm going to, I started off with the Bernie campaign, you know, being a, um, canvassing and things like that at that point we have um we have uh we have the um we have caucuses out here in nevada so we have to actually go into precincts and things like that so it's actually really a dope community vibe um and that's something that i do like about the uh the the, the uh the election process out here um and you know that provided you the opportunity to become a delegate for the state so you know being that i'm like Let's go ahead and try to see what we can do about this. I went ahead and did that. And then that provided me with opportunities to, you know, even be in, um, you know, now I'm on the platform committee. We're, we're creating, like last night, we were just finalizing a platform, which I was actually going to email you about tonight once I get the finalization of it, just so you can kind of go over it and see if you'd be interested in, um, you know, kind of looking looking at it. Because it seems to me it's it's a pretty pretty dope platform overall. There are some things that I've recently thought about to, to add to it, but it's a little too late. So, like, once we, you know, pass that platform and, um, you know, we're able to amend it and add more things to it, um, you know, that's going to be some things like... That I, that I definitely want to make sure that we, um, you know, that we do add. So, like, for instance, we are, um, you know, they're trying to do a commission for reparations, for example. And my thing is that that's great and fine and all that. But, you know, in order to prevent them from dragging their feet, let's go ahead and 
uh, you know, attach a UBI to that to all Black Americans who who are um, census slaves. And let's make sure that at least that way they're being compensated at that time, because it's not like it's not something we don't know actually happened. This is factual evidence that we do know is going on. So that's something that I do plan on advocating for um, next next cycle um, once we do get that platform up, passed and finalized. Um, but, you know, it's just th certain things like that, um, universal health care, things, things of that nature is things that we're trying to actually get in Nevada at the moment on the local level. And, um, you know, another great thing about that is that we're working on being one of the first in, in, in the nation uh, where they do the voting. And, um, you know, that can also um, sway the way of the primaries and like how um, the presidential elections could go and national elections could go and things like that. Now, this is not me cap not me trying to tell everybody to get on electoralism. I don't really give a fuck about electoralism. I'm actually in there as a as recognizing that where I'm at now, I'm utilizing that as a tool to help us get what we need. And I think we need more people to got, to actually get into that space if they have the opportunity, because I do understand it is difficult. And, and honestly, if it weren't for the opportunity of me doing hybrid uh, meetings where I can zoom in or I can get the opportunity to go in person, it would be extremely difficult for me because, you know, of my schedule. Capitalism has a hold on us because we know that shit kills. And you know, I'm just there with that, um, you know, as far as why the left is losing. We need to make sure that we're getting the establishment to react to us. And there's many ways that we can do that. We can even do that on our level, cons cons consistently protesting at the uh, at town halls because we have valid reasons to be protesting right now. There's people getting killed out in these streets every single day. Ridiculous. It's getting crazy out here. Like you said, it's a class war. These, these cops don't, don't care about us. The other day I was, th I was thinking about how it's funny how the, uh, the D.C. police, they're the Capitol Police, because that's literally all they protect is Capitol, even though I know it's a different spelling on that. But like in my head, I'm like, yeah, all they really do is protect capital and all they care is about property. And, you know, in the long run, when they're protecting these congressmen and things of that nature, they are actual property in the long run because they're getting them the things that they need in order to put out the white supremacy that they're actually in favor of. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're doing something to fix that. That's how I feel about that. Leroy, really quick, you're in Nevada. Why do you think, um, Amy did not win this time around. So, uh, personally, um, yeah, I remember you did a story, and, and I, I watch your show pretty pretty frequently. It's like one of my one of my daily news. You and Nick, and you know the whole RBM fam. Um, I remember you talk, you you um, did a, you cop covered an interview with her. With I believe she was speaking with Katie Helper, and I believe Nina Turner was there or something of that nature. And I, I forget what it was that turned me off about like what she said, but it was like it, it kind of led me to believe that it would be like kind of the same thing that we would get with AOC. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be kind of that, um, you know, I get in there and then now I'm just kind of getting along to play along. Although the only thing that made me kind of get behind her is, um, you know, I don't know if everybody knows her story, but she has a very, very deep story out here, um, you know, with her daughter passing away because of literally not having health care. I mean, like, obviously, that that's that's something that many thousands and thousands of people deal with in this country. And that's something that was, you know, some of her motivators. And I think that a lot of these politicians fail to realize is that, like, absolutely, that's something that we're going to connect with. What you also have to make sure that you're doing is making sure that you're staying focused. You're, you're staying focused on that policy because I'm not trying to vote on your personality and your and, and, and your experience. Unfortunately, unless that experience is going to bring in action behind the policy that we need to prevent that stuff from happening consistently, 
You know what I'm saying? So like, that's kind of like the feeling that I got from that overall. Cause like I even went out to canvas for her and the same day that I went to go there, um, Corey Bush happened to be out there and you hear, you, you hear like these excuses to me, it seems like excuses because again, these people have platforms. I don't see why they're not utilizing their base bully pulpit. They all have a connection in more than enough States to cause a ruckus not n- nothing crazy doesn't have to be violent but it can it can be it's 100 valid and needed because people are dying out here but like they're not utilizing their they're not utilizing their platform and they're also not being true to their word to kind of go back to aoc she's also that person that said that she had no problem being a one-term congresswoman to make sure that she gets the things that we need even if it didn't get things done at least she knows she felt good about it so like my thing is like well you're very comfortable now, although, like you mentioned, she was likely comfortable before that because she had her startup and things of that nature. And, right. you know, it, it, it kind of sucks because, you know, we, they're co-opting the language, but not doing the action, which actually does way more negative because then you got disingenuous Fox News um, pointing to her. And then like even CNN pointing to her saying like, these are the reasons why maybe Joe Biden isn't doing something right. And that's why you got to go out and vote. And then they do the same cycle over and over again. And we go through the same, we go through the same nonsense and people are disincent, people are um, desensitized to it. People don't want to deal with it anymore. I've seen it on the ground. I see it in these meetings. It's like, and, and then in these meetings, you have these, uh, you have these literal shit libs out here, just like, because you're, you're, you're um, advocating for, um, you know, Palestinian self-determination. They're saying like, oh, well, maybe we need to contact this congressperson from this state to get the ACLU involved with this conversation. And I'm like, I'm going to reiterate exactly what I said, because this is what I believe. And unless you're going to be able to provide a conversation with me in order to tell me why I am wrong and why I should be okay with the oppression of people, then I don't think we're going to really be having a conversation here. So, you know, from there, you can kick rocks. And that's how I feel. Right. Well, Leroy, thanks so much. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is Sean. Gotcha. Okay, Sean, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. For sure. How's it going, Savvy? We worked together on the first march. I'm not sure you remember me. Renee kind of knows me, but uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's interesting. This is an interesting topic because this is something I've actually spent a good deal of time on. And I think one of the major issues that the left is dealing with right now is actually – is it's twofold. First of all, people need to understand that human beings use stories and narratives as a mechanism to understand and evaluate the world around them. Okay. It's just, it's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. You know what I mean? Language is inherent within our, like the structure of our brains. And the issue that we've had within this country for so long is that the left has never actually found a way to kind of consolidate and hold a line and then on top of that create a narrative against the system and the establishment as we have it now. Because the narrative that we have now today in America that is produced by, you know, the mass media is that the Democratic Party includes the left. We all know, everybody in this chat knows 
The left has nothing to do with the Democratic Party, but due to the kind of nature of the left and the state that it's in, I think by infiltration and infighting and egotism, we've never actually defined a actual battlefront in order to create a message. And when I talk about that, like I actually had an idea that would kind of, you know, encapsulate this. I was thinking about creating an anti-corruption platform. You know what I mean? So just a platform that like we are sick of Wall Street screwing over the American public and we're sick of the Federal Reserve. You know what I mean? The Federal Reserve using their influence or the banks using their influence to screw over the American public. We're sick of, you know, people being raped in prison. That's cruel and unusual punishment. We are sick of, you know, the pharmaceutical industry being able to buy off CNN and MSNBC and the political parties and actually use that kind of as a major mechanism to create that front line of what the left is because right now the left is so you know scattered in so many different capacities that we generally spend more time fighting each other than we do the establishment and that makes it so we have no ability to create a counter narrative to the major narrative produced by the mainstream media and so what i think the major issue is is that the american public don't even understand what leftism is if you watch cnn and msnbc or fox news or any of that stuff you have no fucking idea what leftism is. You know what I mean? Because they are pre- they're presenting an idea that is completely it is completely manufactured by corporations to get people to not it, purposely not comprehend what leftism is. And if we had a narrative that was openly challenging Nancy Pelosi, like think about a group of people who are just there to talk about all the corruption of Nancy Pelosi, educate people on that. Talk about how AOC got elected. AOC got elected on a national platform. She got, I live in Colorado. I gave AOC money, not because I thought she was going to be fucking magic. I, I tried, I gave money to AOC because I hope she would represent my voice and be in an elevator with Nancy Pelosi and look her in the face and say, you're fucking corrupt. That's why I wanted AOC there to get Give the American public the capacity to actually hear what the fuck we actually stand for. But when she gets in there, she gets she gets brought into the big system, and maybe they did threaten her life. And that's something that we should po- probably consider. But even if that's the case, that means that we need to actually have a strategy that creates a narrative outside of the system of control. But the problem is, and again, I'll say, it, is that there's way too much fucking infighting on the left. You know what I mean? Like people are constantly trying to degrade other people as a way to get like some ego fucking boost when and when they ignore the fucking actual corrupt people who are destroying our entire country and the fucking planet and i think that until the left can actually begin to consolidate on a line like listen we don't like the fucking corruption and we understand that if this corruption continues literally the human species will come extinct that's where we stand we stand against all of that this is no more like pitter party we're not trying to be friends with nancy pelosi we're not trying to you know do stuff with ro Khanna. we're saying fuck you you're literally going to kill all of humanity and once the left can get on that level and actually have a narrative that the rest of the country can hear i think that's when the left will actually get momentum and power Sean bringing fire. Everyone give Sean a round of applause. Wow. Um, no, I completely agree with you. It's if there, that is the case where AOC feels those kinds of threats and she's not going to fight for the people that she said she was going to fight for, then I think she needs to step down. Case in point, if you can't do it, move out of the way, leave Congress. Go start an activist organization like you have millions of followers. Do you know you could do so much more on the outside than you can on the inside? Jamal Bowman, I just showed that speech the other day 
with Colin, where Jamal Bowman was at Colin's event. He gave a speech. And in that speech, Jamal Bowman said, we need you guys to organize on the outside. We need the movement to happen on the outside. And that was Jamal Bowman's way of letting you know that the people that we put in in D.C., those progressives are not going to be the ones to do it. Even if they came from working class or a poor background, they're not working class and poor anymore because I know the minimum salary that a congressman or congresswoman gets even the first year. So they're not they're no longer a part of that class. And it just is what it is at this point. But you're right. Like, I think the reason why there's a lot of infighting on the left is because this strategy did not work. Not to the point where people didn't get elected. They got elected. But they're not fighting for us. And I think that's where some of the infighting comes from. We have no common goal anymore. See, back then, the common goal was let's get progressives elected. Let's get Bernie Sanders in there. So there wasn't as much infighting. But I can tell you as someone being in this space, there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego. You got people, podcasters don't want to talk to other podcasters because their platform isn't as large as theirs. That's not what's that going to get anybody. That's not getting us anywhere. And here's something for people to know. Just because someone has a smaller platform than you, that doesn't mean you have the same audience. Because I can tell you, like, if I go to my my YouTube studio analytics, it shows me who my viewers are watching. So that's a word word out there to people who have large platforms who kind of ignore a lot of people with the smaller platforms unless you kiss their ass. Heads up to them. We don't have the same followers necessarily. So there may be people that you could reach on RBN's platform that you're not going to reach on your own platform because guess what, boo, they're not watching you. That's important for people to understand. So you have this separation and it's true. It's a big part of the problem. You have the people that have the larger platforms. And I say this again, with the exception of Jimmy Dore, he's the only one that's willing to talk to other people. So you have the people with the larger platforms. They have their own separate group. They really, for the most part, don't want to talk to anyone who's not an academic elite, someone who's not already a politician, someone who's not running for office. They don't want to talk to the same working class people that they claim to be fighting for. You know why? Because they're not from the working class. They never have been. They've never been poor. They've never had to struggle. They don't understand. Yeah. So the problem we have is that, and I'll pass it back to you, the problem that we have, those are the people who led this movement. Those are the ones who created the narrative and they are not willing to fight. They're not willing to go out there and protest. They're not willing to go out there and do some type of any type of direct action, anything that requires more work. They're not willing to do it. At the end of the day, a lot of them just want to be media personalities. And I think the sooner people understand that, the better off you'll be. So what I tell people is for those of you who do want to get out and do stuff like what we're doing at RBN, you want to do mutual aid, you want to help people in your community, connect with us and we can show you how to do it. But I'm going to tell you right now, (laughs) if you think that people like Kyle Kalinske and Jink Uger, if you think they're going to lead some type of this type of movement, they're not going to do it. They're rich and they're comfortable and they don't leave their seat. And so that's something that people need to understand. So when it comes to the left infighting, that's where some of it comes from. It's a class divide. 
and they don't want to do anything. All they want to do is to tell you to give them money, even though they're already rich. TYT every day. Give me money. Become a member. Give me money to give them money and to elect Democrats. That's all they want to do. Yeah. And uh, let me just say, well, I was talking about, I, and I 100% agree. Like I'll just flat out say, fuck Jank Uger. He's, he's an, I, I think he's, I think he's the op at this point. I think there's a lot of op, you know, on the side of the left, but what I was talking about kind of more is kind of like the local activist level. Cause I've seen so much of like the infighting on like the local level between, you know, different leftists. Like I remember one leftist, like you don't read theory. You're not a leftist. And it's just like, this is, this is unnecessary. Like this, like, why are you doing you know what I mean? So that was kind of my position on that. But to your point, I think that there I think and, and, and this is actually something that me and my friend who worked on Force of the Vote were talking about is I think the left also just doesn't know how to debate. They don't know how to deal with conflict or like a lot of the, the individuals on the ground don't know how to win arguments. And because of that, I think it's hurt our entire ability to challenge the system and challenge, you know, our comprehension and actually consolidate a movement. Like when I was working on Force the Vote, when we were trying to get people there, it was it was like a Slack channel had over two thousand people. Like we would have people who were Sam Cedar fans who would show up and be like, "Listen, it's still just a good idea." And it was because of the fact that the arguments were solid. People understood what we were talking about. We we're like, "Listen." Let's just force this vote. And people agreed to that. There was argumentation there. There was an understanding and there was a consensus there. And so the organization came after there was a considered system of like, this is why we're doing it, a philosophy, a reasoning behind it. So people could actually kind of engage with it. And what I think has happened kind of on the left, you know, just generally speaking, is we've lost the ability to actually engage with ideas and ensure that if we are going to start to do activism we're all we're, we are going to start to create this like larger group of coalition that it is based upon argumentation that is based upon logic so we could say for a reason like we could you know if we were starting an organizing group why we think jank is a joke you know what i mean why he's not helpful why supporting the democratic party and the national corporate democrats are completely you know against our own interests and have those arguments be the forefront of our organization so anybody who comes and joins and reads it can simply see the arguments and if we have the best arguments which we do we're going to be able to win because those are talking points and if we have great talking points and actually have that united front people can just read those talking points and spread that information and i think that that right there is the major mechanism of actually achieving real change in this country because they have the money we have the fucking people and we also have probably some of the most intelligent people in this entire country probably some of the most intelligent people this entire country has ever seen because we're self-educated but again you need to actually find a way to create a united front to stand against it and if jank and kyle are on one side of it so be it but we need to understand what that battle line is and i think that the 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 blurriness of where that battle line is has just caused more and more and more chaos to the point that people start infighting over like little shit because one person doesn't agree with you on this one small issue and and yeah so that's all i gotta say i don't want to take up too much time but yeah Awesome, Sean. Well said. 100% agree. I'm going to go ahead and bring in, I believe this is Schnarf. Schnarf? Yeah, you just have to hit unmute. You've never heard the name Schnarf before? 
I have not. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'm probably the exact polar opposite of Sean. Um, I don't believe that there is a political path to change. I, I don't see it. it not, not at least in the short term, 100%. So I've given up mostly mostly on, on political change, right? And the way I kind of look at it is I feel like people get the government they deserve. And maybe that's that's the wrong way to look at it. But at the point where we are, I don't think there is a pathway for political change, mostly because actually you guys brought it up. AOC is a perfect example, right? Bright eyed. I'm a socialist. I mean, I, I saw her on on I think it was the Stephen Colbert show. And I was actually in the audience when I saw her and I was like, you know, there's so much optimism and so much hope. But look at what what we have now. I mean, all we have is another corporatist with a uh, with a more uh, kind of a a social demeanor that 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 says, I, you know, I'm I'm for the people. I mean, it's just a crock of shit. But I think what we really need to do is we need to look at why these people get co opted, and the real reason why is that the way that money is produced in the United States, the way that wealth is generated, is intrinsically a part of that equation. And if we don't answer those things, and if we don't come up with a plan for that, then all we're going to do is give ourselves high blood pressure. You know, if the pathway for 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 political candidates, it's to gather money. Right. We need to we need to understand, first of all, who is the who are the winners in our economy? What's their agenda and what's ultimately going to happen? And the only way to really win is asymmetrical warfare. And if you're not ready for that, then, you know, you're just going to give yourself a heart attack, knocking on doors, trying to win people over. I, I hate to sound like a like like a kind of a, a a a down person, but that's probably why Adolf Reed doesn't have a good answer for you because he's not that different from this perspective because he's seen the same thing happen over and over again: the co-opting, the coercion, the the the, the sucking into the into the culture machine. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, I was I was quite surprised when I you know bringing on like Adolf Reed. And also Ted Glick, like these were two people that tried this. Ted Glick said he tried to start like a third party movement, some alternative movement to what we have, to the current system. And he said every time he just kept hitting a brick wall. And so I I felt like he had kind of just given in. Same thing with Adolf Reed. He was just like, well, you know, uh, I tried this a long time ago, back in the day. And so I get, I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, we do have to pass legislation. So what do we do? Wait, are we really passing legislation though? Do you really believe that the laws that we, that are, that are being passed actually make a difference? Because at the end of the day, the only people that have a voice are the corporate entities that rule this country, right? I hate to say this. I guess our best play, in my opinion, is societal collapse. Honestly, and it's a horrible thing to say. I'm sorry. Like, I want to be I want to be optimistic about a candidate and an agenda and to create talking points and to be intelligent about stuff. But I, I, so far, the only thing I see as, as a savior for the people of the United States and the world is societal collapse. 
You know, it almost reminds me of, um, I was watching, have you ever seen that show called Intervention? Where, where they where they grab the person that's addicted to to whatever substance and they, they, yeah. they yeah yeah I was watching that recently and there was something said on one of the episodes where they said that like you can't make them give up their addiction they have to want to change they have to want to do it and they said that for a lot of people, that is not going to happen until they hit rock bottom. And so I'm wondering, to your point, in order for a lot of people, Americans to like really wake up, maybe it's what you said. Maybe we have to have that collapse. We have to have a true fall where the United States hits bottom. Hits we did bottom. already. We did. We had the Great Depression and all the changes that came about as a result of the Great Depression are the same things that keep us having some quality of life. But the problem with the, with, with what happened in the Great Depression is they went after, they went after these capital entities, right? They went after the, 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 the automakers, the, the produce, the, the people that were producing goods, but they never regulated the banks because banking wasn't even seen as an industry. It didn't become an industry until the 1970s. You know, and then when you have Reagan completely deregulate these guys, they run a fucking muck and they fucked us up for, for, for decades and no one's doing anything about it. Even our culture celebrates it, you know? That's a good point. And Jamal Bowman is from my district. I'm interested to know what you think of Jamal Bowman. Cause I think <laughs> I call him Papa Smurf. I think Papa Smurf is, is, is like, a goofy version of AOC. Right. Like if I had to grade them all, like I say this often on my show, I give Jamal Bowman, you know, I'd give him an F. He's the weakest link. If you look at all the members of the squad, he's the weakest one. Ilhan probably has more guts than most. She's at least willing to speak out on some issues in reference to foreign policy where the rest of them will not. She's the only one in the squad that has given some type of support for Julian Assange. The others have not, including Bernie Sanders, by the way. I think he might've just said something recently, but he wouldn't even mention Julian Assange's name in the tweet. So, whereas Ilhan Omar said this on an interview, but I think he's the weakest link. Like he just had that speech at Collins event about what teachers need to do and how we need to help improve these schools. And he didn't even mention that they're about to end that free lunch program. How could you not mention that as someone who's a former educator and me as a former educator, that makes me feel some kind of way because I don't feel like him coming from education, being a principal, a school counselor, I don't feel like he's using his background to actually educate people while he's in D.C. I feel like he's very quiet and he just kind of goes with the flow. He's docile. I mean, he wasn't docile when he when he was running. I mean, he was he was real. He was real amped up. But then, you know, I'm telling you, like, at the end of the day, these these people that we've elected into power are going to go into the into the circuits of the political system and follow the same thing that everyone else does. 
It's a spectacle. It's a show. There's nothing that's ever really fully accomplished. The point of the United States government is to funnel money into the pockets of the same entities that have driven us to war in Afghanistan, war in Iraq, the the petrochemical industry, the healthcare industry. The healthcare industry is bananas. And then on top of that, the cherry is is finance, insurance, and real estate. If we don't understand how the, where the money comes from, then all we're doing is knocking on doors and coming up with slogans. And I'm I'm honest, like I, I listen. I, I like the fire that some of the people that have spoken so far have, but what's the point, man? If you're not dealing with the with the root cause, and then people are like, "Well, that's theory, and that's your you have to learn economics." It's like, what the fuck else are you doing with yourself? You know. That's the only way to really deal with this is to figure out the the linchpins that we can attack in asymmetrical fashion to 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 make this thing fall over and and then once we have it on the ground this time as opposed to the the past with the with the great depression we kill it I mean we literally stab it to death and we need we need people to really understand that our lives are not going to get any better. And it's hard to do that when you have when you have so much you're you're so bombarded with so much information and nonsense that you have no sense of what meaning and truth is. Wow, Snarf, you really uh broke it down well said. Um I will say that yeah, it's it's very frustrating, it's very disappointing and I think that we need people to have balls. Like, I'm sorry, but we need people. And I say this again to the people with the larger platforms. We need them to push back on these congressmen and women, the ones that are still able to get them to come on their shows. And Rokana seems to be the only one right now that's that's willing to, like, have these hard questions. Right. And but at the same time, I feel like people even aren't they're not really pushing him as much as they could. And I'll give you an example. Ro Khanna, he is also listed as a justice Democrat, but Ro Khanna takes corporate money. What I would like to see is the next person that interviews Ro Khanna, ask him why he's taking money from Silicon Valley and he's supposed to be a justice Democrat. Ask him about the money because that's a big part of the corruption and nobody will do it. Everyone's afraid. They just want to, don't get me wrong, Brianna Joy Gray probably is the best at this. Like she will ask him hard questions, but even she won't ask him about the money. And that's the thing that pisses me off because I know they all know about it. But it's like, you cannot continue to give these politicians these softball interviews just because you want to maintain access and you want to get access to other Congress people. If that is the case, if that is what you are going to do, then you might as well go work for MSNBC or CNN because that's what they do. Otherwise, what's the point of being independent? But that's the problem. A lot of people are not pushing them the way that they should. But the fact that you have people like Pramila Jayapal and Ro Khanna that are taking corporate money and they are listed as justice Democrats, that is a problem. And people need to call it out. I think I listen, I agree with you a hundred percent, but I think we have to also recognize that these people are all on the take and the real cast of clowns that are fucking our lives up 
are the FedEx, the UPS, the Boeing, you know, all these entities, these corporate entities, we, 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 we don't seem, we don't seem to understand that their political agenda is what's, what, what becomes policy, right? Like, have you ever looked at the FCC? Who, who's on the FCC? Verizon, Comcast. It's the same companies that run the show and they're dictating policy about how we communicate. You know, I I think the the, one of the things that I think is insane is that people in America tend to have this idea that we have this uncanny, unlimited freedom. We don't. The minute you start stepping on corporate toes is when you vanish. And I don't mean vanish in the sense that someone's going to come put a black hood over your head. You're just not going to have a voice. You're not going to exist. Which, you know, to be honest with you. It's sad, but if you guys really believe in a socialist future, some of us are going to die, man. Some of us are going to be killed. You know, it's true, but it's it's crazy, too, because um, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but Professor Richard Wolf, you know, he's been a, a socialist for a long, long time, and he wasn't given a platform until, I would say, maybe a couple years ago. Because they didn't want people like Professor Richard Wolf to speak. People weren't inviting him on to the mainstream media. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. God, no, they didn't want him to hear that people to hear that message that he's talking about with capitalism. So I think Occupy movement, Bernie Sanders campaigns, that's something that really was able to give someone like Professor Wolf a voice. But you got to think about the fact that even during like the 70s, because I asked him when I interviewed him, when did you first realize that capitalism was a problem? He said when he was a little boy. So Professor Richard Wolf, like he's had these uh, ideas for a long, long time. And he was not allowed to speak about it on media until more so recently. And so they, they found a way, they were finding a way to keep someone like him quiet. I, I I listen to Wolf and, and I and I see where he comes from and he makes a lot of good points, but he doesn't have much of a political agenda either. His thing is is that we attack the workplace, which is where you know the old fashioned Marxist mode of produ- uh, uh, mode of production starts, right? I get it. He he has a lot to say about that within the workplace, but the problem is is that the you know, the the one thing that we don't talk about enough is the fact that, that work is actually changing. We no longer have like regular traditional jobs. We live in an economy where most work is like gig, temporary, contractual. There is so much precarity in work, which means that people are, are completely neutered to say anything. You know, you can't go against anything. Because you'll be replaced. And we have this massive reserve army of labor that can be used left and right to, to basically keep the quality of life at a certain level. If you think about it right now, this whole inflation shit, this is this is nothing but but something that was concocted just to extract as much wealth as possible. Exactly. Uh, in fact, Richard Wolf talked about that recently and he explained what the real problem was. And. And that is not the war. He really broke that down. So I do watch like his economic update. I want to uh, make a correction in the chat. Uh, Marxist. Sorry, guys. Marxist. 
I see you in the chat saying, Ashura said, uh, I didn't know Wolf was a socialist. I thought he was a Democrat. I don't, I don't know if Professor Wolf is a Democrat. Like I said, I know when he No, came he's definitely Jeff not. He, he's yeah. not. Because didn't he, he run as like a green? I, I don't know. I don't know about his political position, but I know that he is. He, he, he calls himself a Marxist, and anyone that calls himself a Marxist has no affiliation with uh, with the Democratic Party of the United States. Right. That's what I. Thought. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I hate to throw a litmus test, but you know, uh, fuck it. I, I make. I, I. You know, I'm not. I'm not a part of 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 this kind of big tent idea. I, I honestly don't. I think a lot of people that refer to themselves as leftists should be left out <laughs> because yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy it, man. I, you know, you know who I like, I like, uh, rest in peace, Glenn Ford. He was, yeah. and, and, uh, and the black agenda report. I mean, that shit, like, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that that's like, Oh, you know, I discovered, uh, you know, left being left, uh, you know, at a at a at a certain age because my parents were conservative. My grandfather took me to Harlem to watch Fidel Castro speak at 14 years old. This shit is in my fucking veins from a very early age. In my family, we don't argue about who's who's a conservative and who's a liberal. We argue about who's you know a moderate and who's a radical. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a little bit different, but I think there needs to be more more push towards towards understanding the economic aspects of, of stuff because the political shit is a loss. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Narf, for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller, and that is Sonia. Let me go ahead and make you the next caller. You just have to hit unmute. Hi, Savvy. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with the last caller. Um, I actually think Thomas hit the nail on the head. Um, I think people have been sold out so much by politicians. You really can't underestimate the power of trust. And if people went to high school with you, saw you at PTA meetings or volunteering at the local food bank and helping clean up after community events, um, you're going to have good word of mouth and people are going to be more likely to trust you. And if once elected, um, those people really advocate for their constituents, I think that trust just keeps on building. Um, because I think some people get into local office and they run on one thing and then they completely pivot once they're in office. So it happens at that level too. And if somebody shows that they're not trustworthy at that level, uh, you can be sure that they're not going to be trustworthy in higher office. Um, and even though it really depends on the district and how many people happen to be running in the race, some of the pitfalls I've seen at the local level uh, candidates make is that they'll be running for county supervisor and be advocating for Medicare for all, but they won't know what the issues of their local hospital are. And so I think the incumbents tend to have the advantage because they're more well-versed in the issues and the solutions, and they have connections and relationships built across different levels of government and with community groups to the point that, you know, if someone comes to them with a problem, they can quickly help them address it. 
So even if people don't agree with their politics or their values, they'll keep voting them into office if they feel like they're more competent than whoever else is running. Usually I've only seen incumbents lose if they make some kind of like really egregious error where like they'll advocate for a policy that's really harming people. Um, but I actually do think there are quite a few victories happening on the left in the local level in some areas. Um, but I agree um, with some of the other callers that we need a party with a clearer vision for the future beyond just like doing good for your district. Um, because there are some Democrats who are good where they secure grants, they help act as a mediator between people with different interests to reach solutions that work for everyone. But they will compromise on the larger issues that aren't specific to their district, like being anti-war. Um, and I think that's where we need something different that articulates a clearer vision on a lot of these larger issues like the climate crisis um, and the wider economy. That's a, that's a good point, uh, Sonia. Um, well said. I think that, you know, there's just so many things that are going on, uh, especially economically right now. But um, you're right. Like even some of the politicians that are running the local level, they've run into challenges as well. And one of the things that I have noticed over the years, usually, well, typically the candidate that has the most money is the one that's going to win. And I think we can all see that that difference with Bernie Sanders. Right. Because Bernie Sanders at one point had the most money than the other candidates. And of course, you know, they weren't going to let him win anyway. The DNC was not going to let him win. And so, I mean, these are all issues that they need to be addressed, but I think they need to be addressed by multiple people, not just, you know, RBN and Hardland's media and, you know, Convo Couch has mentioned that they're, uh, I know Fiorella told me she's done. She's like, she's, she's done with electoral politics. She's like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, because she knows based on her reporting on the ground, we don't have fair elections in this country. And I think that's going to be, you know, a big part of it. And so my, my message to everyone, and I'm going to end with this because I actually have to get ready for, um, me and JB's show. Uh, but my message to everyone is this, is that I just sincerely hope that we don't do what we did last time and put all of our hope and faith into one person or one personality and get so focused on the person and the personality and then really get let down if they win and they get in and they don't do anything for us. Because at the end of the day, one thing I think we all, everyone's kind of said here at some point or another, money runs everything. So both parties are bought and paid for. They control all of it. That's why they're willing to do and pass legislation that helps and protects corporate interests and does not help and protect the people. That's why they're willing to give $40 billion to Ukraine, which included healthcare and clean drinking water and food, and not give that to the, the Americans right here, even though we have a food shortage and a baby formula shortage in this country. And I encourage all of you to try to organize and do mutual aid in your own communities. I'm partnering actually with Massachusetts Peace Action here. Uh, we're going to be working on some things. I already got a meeting set up that we're going to start going to different neighborhoods to do mutual aid in the area. If you have questions on how to do it, I highly recommend that you check out case study QB on Twitter. 
He actually just did two interviews with mutual aid activists. Rome from RBM was one of them explaining to people how to do it and how to get it done. Because the more of us that do this, and there already are some mutual aid organizations in the States, go to mutualaidhub.org. You can see a whole list of them. But the more of us that do this, I think the more we'll be able to help people right now instead of having people put their hope and faith in electoral politics and hoping that these politicians will do something for them. Because at the end of the day, we know who owns the parties. So that's my message to you guys. I'll be live tonight at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Pasta will be there. He's going to talk about how they actually handle elections in Colombia. I'm also going to discuss what has happened with Andrew Gillum recently. He just was indicted. Also, Joe Rogan's controversy over the Valde police. And we're going to talk about Apple actually may have just started their first union in Maryland. So those are going to be the topics tonight. I want to thank all you guys for calling in and I hope you have a good evening. Bye bye.